0: That's 21 of 22 chapters. <laughs> we are just so close to there. But we're going to go slow because even though in the bulletin it says Revelation 21, 1 through 8, we're going 21, 1 through 1 today. So uh, as you turn there, I'd like to talk about soccer balls for a minute. As we've all learned from Operation Christmas Child, the most popular gift for only boys. <laughs> That's right, so, so we get no argument today, but <laughs> is a soccer ball, because soccer is a hugely popular sport in, in the world, and it doesn't matter how poor people are, they find a way to find a soccer ball or something to use for a soccer ball, and they play those ball with those balls until they are so battered and beaten and duct taped and shaped, or or whatever they can form into a soccer ball if they don't have one, because if they don't have a new one, they will find a way to play soccer because they will play soccer, right, Uh, no matter how beaten up and and battered it is. So when they get a new one, it's an awesome thing. The world we live in is a beat-up, battered soccer ball of a planet. Okay, that's what we live in. We think it's awesome. We think it's beautiful. We get out in the wild and we look or we see it. Last night, I didn't see it because I was in here watching Spider-Man Multiverse. But when I got home, I heard that the moon was red and Judah was in love, in awe of this red moon. And, of course, I hear the red moon. Guess what I'm thinking? Smoke in the air, right? And that's what I'm thinking because I know that red moon, that beautiful red moon is a result of devastation, right? Right? This world we're living in is a, a wounded ball that's been kicked around, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's all we've ever known, so we think it's beautiful. I wonder what it looked like when it was new. I, I wonder what it was like. I mean, think of thorns, right? The, the, the curse on Adam. Adam. You know, on the ground because of you will bear thorns and thistles, right? Uh, thorns and thistles, uh, earthquakes, storms, droughts, volcanoes, floods, fires, the flood, right? Entropy, just things wearing down. This, this world is a battered, beat-up soccer ball remnant uh, that, that uh, really could do with being replaced, right? Today we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. God is going to make all things new, including us, right? And eternity is going to be great. And this, today's message is, is about, I don't know, I, I told Joan, this is going to be a really uplifting sermon. I don't know if I know how to do those. You know, it's always conviction and, and, and you repent, you stinking sinners. And today, the, the whole message about how awesome eternity is, is going to be. So I wanted, I, I knew this was going to be a one-verse sermon when I looked at the word new. I mean, Monday when I looked at it, I said, okay, I got eight verses here. This will be a nice unit. But when I sat down and started working on it, I said, this is going to be a one-verse one, one sermon because of that word new. Uh, the first thing I want to do is wrap my head around this word new. You think you know what new means. Well, well think about it for a minute. You get a new medicine and in the morning you wake up feeling new right man that's a good drug (laughs) I am gonna get some more of that you know you have a new baby and it's wonderful but then it grows up to be just like the other ones it's like (laughs) (laughs) what was the whole point right every year they come out with new cars right they have new features and do things the old ones didn't do Right. We have all sorts of understanding of the word new. The problem with everything we've ever known that was new is it gets old. Right. Everything gets old. None of these live up to the new of new heaven and new earth. Right. God is not remodeling the earth right? He's, he's not renovating it. He's not making improvements to the earth. So it will be like new. He, he's not making an earth that, though better, could still be improved on. This new is a different kind of new that is way better than that. 1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, two what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, right? What God has prepared for those who loved him. Eye has not seen this, ear has not heard this, heart has not imagined this, right? We have no understanding. This is a kind of new we are not used to. If I dare say it, it is a new kind of new, okay? Uh, It's a new we have not seen, we have not experienced. Take every kind of new you've ever seen or heard or gotten excited about and and, and shelve it as a second-class new, or maybe a third class or a fourth class new. Because we have never seen a first class new. It sounds like I'm talking about one of those goat things, you know, in Africa. Yeah. It's, it's N-E-W. We've never seen this kind of new. The heaven, new heaven and new earth are going to be this whole new kind of new. First Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 53. First Corinthians 15 is, is, is one of those passages. If Robert McDowell were here, right? How would he describe this passage? The words Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost bumps comes to mind because you can't read this and not have some kind of a response to that. I'm just going to read this whole long thing. I may have to stop and break down some things in in processing through this. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 53. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Right, he's talking to doubters, to scoffers. Oh yeah, well, it's going to be zombies. You know, you can just hear someone's can picture. Because, you know, because when picture people picture people rising from the dead. You know, we have the mummy, or we have zombies, or you know, something like that. Uh, it, it, he says, "How were they raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He chooses, and to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Right? Uh, He goes on, and, and I could... Uh, Let me skip down to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the perishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. Uh, The nursery verse, (laughs) we shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on the immortal, and if that is what is happening to us, are we being made immortal and put on a perishing planet? Right? Are we getting new bodies and being made eternal and, and, and immortal and invincible and all those things and being put on a planet that's decaying? It, you know, I, I, really, I can't prove it, but it only makes sense that what he is doing for us is what he is doing for the planet. When he makes a new heaven and a new earth, the model of what he is doing with a new us is a model for that. And this new planet is going to be worthy of the new people we're going to be right? This is going to be a good new planet. A, a, but as you think about this, as you read through those descriptions, as you think about them, don't those raise more questions than they answer? Right? As he describes the difference between a seed and a plant, and he says, so is the difference between a, 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 you know, what is what the body we have now and the body we're going to have. Does that not make you wonder what will the body be like? What will this body be able to do? What will this body experience? What will it look like? Right? How will we? And you know, we start envisioning and we start asking. It, it should, it, it raises more questions than it answers. Well, I think, think this whole view of the new heaven and earth does the same thing. Uh, I, I think that what we see about the body raises a pattern for this new earth. And I don't know that we can come up with answers except coming up with more questions. And what about this? And we speculate and our minds just go, go beyond. So, so how do I describe the new heaven and the new earth? And the best I can say is it's beyond me to describe the new heavens and the new earth. It is a new, I do not understand. I have never seen. It is beyond what my imagination has grasped, right? Uh, But if I do know this much, it should excite you. It should excite you. Why is this here? Why? You know, this is at the end of Revelation. Well, what do we find all through the Revelation? Uh, you, we find a whole lot of suffering for believers. We pe- find people victorious by their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. We find martyrs galore, Revel- uh, tribulation period martyrs all over the place in, in the book of Revelation. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the suffering that we go through, is the, and, and I'm speaking to people, we live in a land that is still free. And we see, we see that eroding around the sides. We see contrary viewpoints taking the, the lead in our nation. We see Christians becoming a minority. But we have not seen yet what most, much of the world has seen. And we don't know what that is. We don't know what these people, pers- by personal experience, what these people that we find in the book of Revelation uh, have experienced. But we still know what suffering is. We still know what hurt is. We still know what heartache is. These people have had so much more. Is it worth it? Is the suffering I go through, is the, are the things I sacrifice, are the things I have given up for God's sake? I didn't have a job all stinking summer. right? Sorry, you guys had a, you, you had a job. You, you didn't have it's a paycheck. Okay, so <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to ministry. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they, uh, is it worth it? And what are we finding when we get here to Revelation 21.1? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Man, it's worth it. The rewards, the, the things we are going to benefit I hate calling it rewards, because rewards implies we deserve it. Uh, I, I, am, I have no doubt whatsoever that what we are going to experience is hugely, far, vastly beyond anything we deserve. And so I don't, I, but I don't know a better word than reward, uh, unless it would be gift right? Okay, so let's move on from the word new to talk about a new heaven, right? Which heaven? Which heaven is being made new? And and it's kind of interesting to me, because some of these passages I I sit down on, the only book you'll find, you walk in while I'm working on the sermon, the only book you'll find open is, is my Bible, sometimes. Sometimes you walk in and the only book you'll find open, books, you'll find my Bible and a concordance. This is one of those weeks where if you walked in, you'd have just found a big old stack of books, and I'm looking at what different people have said about the new heavens, and, the, and they're all over the place. And none of them came up with the right answer exactly, which I'm going to share with you. <laughs> <laughs> but first I want to start with uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 3. right? So, so in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about his own experiences. He speaks in third person as if he's talking about someone else. See, he, he starts out talking about it, uh, as if he's talking about someone else, and later on, he, he makes it clear that he's talking about him. He's just trying not to sound too full of himself, I think. Uh, but he's talking about experience when he has gone to heaven himself. And listen to how he says it. Verse, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's an interesting phrase, third heaven. Uh, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So he, he talks about the third heaven and he calls it paradise. So the Bible never teaches more than three heavens, by the way. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't ever explain the first heaven or the second heaven right so but but it teaches third heavens and common understanding says the first heaven is the atmosphere the second heaven is space and the third heaven is the spiritual heaven of god where that would be called paradise, where Paul was caught up. The heaven of God, that eternal heaven. So we have these three heavens, right? Uh, and he, but, but when he says a new heaven and a new earth, what is he talking about? He could be talking about any one of the three. Well, I want to start out by saying he's not talking about the spiritual heaven. And some of these books I had out said, well, that's going to be made new, and this is how it's going to be done. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. That heaven was never corrupted. That heaven never saw decay right? Sin did not enter into that heaven. Sin did not affect that heaven. It doesn't need to be remade, right? That is the heaven where God, the spiritual heaven where God reigns, right? That one is fine. But I'll tell you where you get the right answer from, is look at uh, Revelation 21, 1, and he says, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and, and Is it possible that Genesis 1-1 is relevant to this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God creates a new heaven, and a new earth. You <laughs> see, this is, this, is, this is a clear reference back to the first creation. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the heavens and the earth. He created what we have here. When he's going to recreate it, this one has become corrupted. It's become a soccer ball. It's been kicked around and decayed. And he's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth. And if God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1, where was he when he did that? Because he wasn't on heaven and he wasn't on earth because it hadn't been created yet, right? So what is he creating? He's creating the sky and space, right? He's not creating the heaven where he is because he's there. Where God is, heaven is. You know, I don't know how else to explain that. I don't know how to define it. I don't know what the bounds and the scope of spiritual heaven are. But that's not what he was creating. He was creating this physical thing we call heavens and, and space and earth. Uh, that's the heaven and earth he created then, right? Uh, it's, it, it, the scope of what he is recreating, I believe it makes perfect sense, is the scope of what he created the first time. Only well, the first time he created it with these laws of physics and entropy and the ability for it to become a battered soccer, soccer ball, especially once Adam sinned, and, and, and the new ones won't have that ability. Physics are going to be different in heaven. Uh, and, and, or I'm going to call it eternity. But, yeah, and I want to talk about that, because we use the word heaven to talk about when I die. When I get to heaven, gonna walk with Jesus, right? And, and, and uh, well, guess what? I don't actually expect to go to heaven. Or maybe I will, but I, my life is going to be on the new earth. But We'll get to that when we talk about that he makes a new heavens and a new earth. But, but the creation he's making is, is, is this one. Day two, Genesis one 6-8. God created the, the, the skies, right? Let, let's go back and look at that. This is this is deep theology that you teach to, to three and four-year-olds, right? Uh, and somehow we forget that it matters. Uh, Genesis one verses six through eight, and God said, "Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters." And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters uh, that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. Oh, shocking. Now your Bible might say sky. There was morning and the, there was evening. In the second day, and he's talking about the sky, the atmosphere. Right? That between the waters below, which is water, and that between the waters above, which are clouds, or rain, or snow, or whatever it happens to be at that time. And that was one of the things he created. If we skip down a few days, uh, we go to uh, verse 14, and God said, this is verse day four, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth to rule over the night and the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And, and so what we find is day two, he made atmosphere, Day four, he made space. Because what is space but nothing filled with something, right? Space, space is nothing, and in that nothing, he planted stars. And people talk about, well, how big is the universe? How far does it go? Well, it goes as far as the stars do, and beyond that, it's empty nothing. That's what space is, right? He created space on the fourth day. He, so he created the the skies. Uh, 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 he, in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, he created the skies on day two, he created space on day four, but the heavens, the heavens of God were already there, uh, he didn't have to create them, right, uh, uh, and so by the way, we, as I say, we won't live on heaven, we will be earthlings, right? I thought, I thought about when I was trying to, you know, one of the things you struggle when you prepare a sermon is how am I going to introduce this thing, and I start, thought about starting with Nanu, Nanu, right welcome greeting earthlings something like that and i thought that takes too much explaining <laughs> those of you who laughed you know it those of you who didn't are still going what in the world is that about okay <laughs> and now we're laughing at them right uh, or they're laughing at us uh, it works both ways we are, we are earthlings. We will be earthlings. We talk about heaven uh, when we get there. I do it that way. I, I, I'm not apologizing for it, but I am saying it's, I don't think it's accurate. I think God is making the new earth because we are physical beings destined to live for eternity on a physical earth. And that's not bad. That's not a limitation. That's what we're made for. Right? That's, that we, that's what we are designed to do, and I think, I think we will like that. Uh, if we're going there, why would God bother making this thing and calling it our home? Because that's what, the way he describes it. Uh, so whatever, we're coming, whatever changes are coming our way, we will be physical beings, and we will live in a physical place. Uh, and the new heaven, when it being referred to, is the heaven that corresponds to that physical earth. So let's move on to the new earth. Because it's hard to get a grip on this new earth, largely because of this phrase, there will be no more sea. And, and, and that, that's the part that baffles me, and we'll come back to that. I'm not sure there will be mountains. Uh, uh, because if you think about this for a minute... In Genesis 7, 19 to 22, it says the highest mountains were f- covered before, the, before the, uh, by the flood by 15 cubits of water. A cubit is commonly rounded off to be about a foot and a half. It's probably a little bit longer than that. But if it's a foot and a half, that's 22 and a half feet of water. That's, that's water deeper than you can dive to, at least I can dive to. You know how, how as a kid, anybody ever swim to the bottom of the pool and scoop up the toys, and you feel like you're going deep? Right, I, I've, I've gone uh, cliff jumping right, from 50 feet and from 50 feet it feels like it takes you forever to hit the water and then it feels like it takes you forever to get back up. But I doubt I went down 22 feet. <laughs> right? 22 feet is a long way, way down. How in the world was there enough water to cover the highest mountains by 22 feet? And the answer is the mountains weren't that big. I mean, that, that's the answer that makes sense. Mountains were formed probably during the processes of all the things that went on during Noah's Flood. That is probably when what we today call mountains were formed, and they probably didn't call, they probably didn't have what we call mountains. What they would call a mountain, we might call a butte. <laughs> we might call it a little butte. <laughs> we might call it rolling hills. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, because uh, you, know, you, you, you base things on what you're used to. Uh, the Prob- uh, when I say it probably weren't mount- there, there, might probably won't be mountains. I'm basing it on the earth at the creation. If there weren't mountains then, uh, in other places of Scripture we find mountains spoken of in, in almost a negative way. Revelation 16:20, just a few pages back, I'll turn there and read that one for you. Revelation 16:20 tells us, uh, every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. This is part of, part of the seventh bowl, the bowl of wrath, the time of the war of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, and all the mountains are leveled as if mountains were a bad thing. And, and I have a hard time getting a grasp on that. Uh, uh, Isaiah 40 thir- 3 to 5 is a passage we're familiar with for for the introduction of John the Baptist. You know let every mountain be laid low, let every valley be raised high, let make straight a path for the the way of him who comes in the name of the Lord, and, and, and the idea of leveling and raising and making it flat, and, and I don't know about you, but that sounds boring to me, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like, like, but but I mean, before Disneyland, where did you go on vacation, <laughs> you went to the mountains or you went to the ocean, you went know, to the ocean or to the, or the mountain or to the water, I mean, it doesn't have to be the ocean, but I mean, there's only two destinations, hills and water, and he's getting rid of those two things, right, come on, come on, <laughs> what's the point of this, uh, do you not understand this, God, and and he's saying, "Yeah, Steve, you're such an idiot. Uh, if one of us doesn't understand, it's, it's me. But, but I think this is a combination of, of sim- symbolism and straightforward passages. But it's a consistent picture. And I'm not sure it sounds fun. We like oceans. We like mountains. We visit. We say it's pretty. Would well, know, people come to Davenport and say, oh, I like it here. It's so pretty? Do you believe them? I, I sometimes call them on it. I, I sometimes say, "What are you? Are you kidding? What are you talking about?" Because it's the same in every direction. Now you go to North Idaho, right, guys? <laughs> That's pretty, unless you're my daughter who's weird and doesn't like pine trees. Davenport is so, <laughs> so we're going to have a vote right now. No, we're not. <laughs> Davenport has definite advantages. I'm not going to argue to that. But, but we like oceans and we like mountains. And, and, and uh, it's like, what's that? And we, 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 we like wheat fields. <laughs> uh, but the best I can say is, is if you're like me and you go, I don't understand this. I don't understand how this is improvement to get rid of mountains and, and valleys. You know, uh, the best advice I have is to, is to trust God that he who made us and knows what makes us happy will make it better not worse Right? the process of what god is doing for us is making the world better not worse it's going forward not backward uh, all those things it, everything good about this earth will be better uh... It, it's, it's going to be that way uh, but since this pulls us back to genesis one one maybe we can glean some things to hear from there Genesis 1-1, or not just 1-1, but Genesis 1, the the creation time, between between creation and the fall, Adam and Eve walked along in perfect, sinless fellowship with God and with each other. Adam and Eve walked along, it appears, in perfect fellowship with animals, right? Right? Not, not just the serpent, the talking serpent. We go, that sounds weird. Why does the serpent talk? Uh, don't know about that. But, but Adam named the animals. God brought them to him. He did not say, ah, a snake. You know? He said, oh, a snake. He did not go, ah, a spider. Oh, I think I'll call that eight-legged thing a spider. Uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't afraid of anything. The tigers didn't scare him. The, the alligators didn't scare him. The, the behemoth didn't scare him. The T-Rex didn't scare him. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call that thing a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's awesome. Yeah, I like it. I want to see some things about that puppy. But, you know, I, uh, imagine the diversity of animals we would have on this planet today if nothing had ever gone extinct. Because every fossil ever found, everything that they look at and talk about evolution is no proof of evolution, but it is proof of further future, for past, former existence. That's the word I want. It's proof that that thing lived. And all those things that used to live on earth that aren't alive anymore, they were alive once, right? They were almost certainly, I don't think God continued creating new animals after Eden. They were all alive in Eden. And wouldn't it, I, I hope they're all there when we have this new heaven and the new earth. And we get a, I don't know if Fifi's going to come back. You know, God, God's bringing back specific dogs, but, but I believe there will be dogs there right? Uh, All those things, all these animals. I think it's going to be awesome. I I think if we just take our time and think about it, it will be awesome. And and more than that, this is really important to me. I don't know if it's important to you. Adam and Eve had work to do in the garden. They had work to do. God put them there to tend the garden. Now I don't know what that means. I mean, how hard is it to tend a garden where there are no weeds and you don't have to water it because it waters itself? It's like, wow, yeah, I'm going to go out and garden today, be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know what that meant for them. But you know what it does mean? I know this much. They had a purpose. I, if, if, if we have no purpose in eternity, I'll be honest, I don't think it sounds like a place I want to go. But I trust God who says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, uh, nor has the heart in, imagined what he has for us. And Adam and Eve had purpose. Even before the fall, when they didn't, have, you know, they didn't have anybody to tell about Jesus. Their purpose was not evangelism. They had purpose that would have been good purpose for eternity. We will have that. I think we will have meaningful purpose. But the no-see thing. That one doesn't just stop me, it stops everybody. All those books I had, they didn't have answers for that, and I'll admit I don't have one for that. One theory is, there's there's different theories, one theory is the the ocean is essentially Earth's filter. I've said that before. Everything runs down to the ocean. When the rain comes up, it's clean. You know, It evaporates. When the rain falls, it's clean. It has been filtered of all the, the impurities that ran down into the ocean. And ocean water, it tastes so icky and bad. Well, it's because of all the impurities that have been washed into it. Right, uh, But what we get back is clean, and so the ocean is a filter for the rain. Well, it won't be necessary anymore. It's not necessary, don't need it, no ocean. Okay, well, that, that's a theory. Uh, another theory is that the ocean is a barrier. Right? How many of you have ever walked to England? right that's not going to happen because you can't the ocean is a barrier between now and then, even flying, it takes a long time uh, it, but the the barrier will be removed, and so there will be no barriers between people that 's a theory. Uh, another theory is that the sea is always moving, always restless, never at peace and I thought you know i 've read descriptions of the sea where it sounds really restful and tranquil <laughs> but but that's okay I, I I wrote it down because they put it down there another This is fairly symbolic. Revelation 17 verse 15 uh, tells us this. Uh, Speaking of waters, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages and the waters are describing the peoples of all the earth spread out and no more sea could simply be saying uh, or symbolic of the fact that there will be no more divisions between people. There will be no barriers between people, there will be no divisions, there will be one people. You know, until until the Tower of Babel, everybody spoke the same language. There was no division between them, uh, of that nature at least, and that would be restored. So so all these are possibilities of this this no more sea. What's really interesting is there are seven no mores in Revelation 21. And you go, okay, well that sounds symbolic. There are four of them are no mores of, of things we don't like, right? Uh, there will be, uh, let me see here, no more death, no more suffering, uh, I'm sorry, four remove suffering, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And, and sometimes all we have to hear is that much. Wow. No more death, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. Sign me up, I want to go there. Uh, two of the no mores, are uh, um, excuse me. Revelation 21:22 and 23, we find two things are not they're because they're not necessary anymore. Uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. It's kind of interesting, uh, and these two are joined together too. And I saw no temple in the city, for it is the temple of the Lord God the Almighty and of the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. So there will be no more. Temple, there will be no more sun or moon. I joined those together as one. I think that's legitimate. Uh, And and they're not there anymore because they're not necessary. We don't need a temple because we've got God there. There there will be no darkness because God is the source of light. I I mean, that's why there's no more sun or moon. There'll be no temple because God Himself will be there. We don't need to go to a temple that represents God when we can go to God in the same physical kind of way. Uh, it, It is unnecessary. And then there's the one about no more sea without explanation. So is it a negative, like, like the four sufferings that are going away, or is it an unnecessary, like the temple and the sun? <laughs> so, and the answer is, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's an emphatic statement. The sea was no more. And, and I hope it's an emphatic but symbolic statement. But there will be a sea, <laughs> because I want one. You have not seen at least a lot of big lakes. That would be good. Uh, anyway, the, the whole point of all this is, is this is all a message of hope. This is a message of hope. Revelation has been a tough book to go through. We've been going through, we've been plowing through, we've been seeing suffering, we've been seeing hardship, we've been seeing these calls to faithfulness all through it. Uh, We saw persecution, we saw martyrdom, we saw the mark of the beast, we saw believers victorious because they were faithful even unto death. And, And the question, as I said, is, is it worth it? And this new heaven and the new earth are the beginning of the answer that yes, it is worth it. Everything hard about this earth will be done away with. Hard in the sense of suffering. Hard in the sense of, of difficult, I mean I don't want to, see I, w- I don't think we will not have hard things to do. Because we like hard things to do. Yeah, I don't know about you, I, I do puzzles. I, I, and in the spokesman review, I, I, I get, on Monday morning they have Sudoku. And the level's easy. And if you do Sudoku, you kind of go, okay, and you solve it because it's easy. And Tuesday's easy and Wednesday's easy, but Thursday and Friday and Saturday they're medium. Or Thursday and Friday they're medium, and Saturday and Sunday they're hard. Guess what? I like the hard ones, because when I've done them, I feel like I beat something. And what's more is I don't always get them right, and so it makes me feel more. Like, I like to feel like I overcame something. I don't, you know, if I don't care if it's a puzzle on a piece of paper, I beat it. <laughs> okay. Sorry, that's my inner competition coming out. Uh, it's, it's uh, I don't want in heaven eternity nothing hard to do. I think there will be hard things to do, but they won't be things that we end up crying over. They won't be things that we, we suffer great loss if we don't accomplish. I, I think there will be things to do. I think we're made, God made us to desire to do things, to want to do things. Uh, but so I think there will be hard things that way, but, but uh, not the kind hard in the sense of suffering. Uh, I, I think everything good about this earth will be here, only it will be better because we are living in the scarred remains of a dying planet. That's what we have right now. And what we have to look forward to is a glorious, wonderful planet. And, and so it's a message of hope. This life can be hard, serving Christ can be hard. <coughs> Why is it that when missionaries are in Siberia to reach people with the gospel, a flood comes when their help is coming and their schedule is planned? One answer that I'm gonna believe is God has some really good things in mind to bring about through this that he wouldn't bring about any other way but another is, is this life is going to be hard it's going to be difficult it is a, a dying planet it is a hard place to serve Christ but but if we look to the reward if we look to the reward we will find it's worth it so coca Co- 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 people not just you guys the, the SMI's but but everybody here who's worked at Cocoa you may have heard heard me say this before I'll say it again I'm sure I'll say it in years to come until the Lord takes me home The hard people are the best people. The tough campers are the ones who get saved. The tough weeks are the weeks that see results. Every time it's hard, get excited because God is doing something. And in the end, the reward is far greater than the difficulty we have getting there. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. You can answer that phone. Father, we praise you for all you do for us. I thank you for tremendous rewards. I thank you for a new heaven and a new earth and that they are glorious and well worth it. I praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.